I don't think starting a business, you can ever tell yourself that like, I'm gonna be able to do everything. You have to make sacrifices somewhere. I'd rather not pay myself than not pay other people. I'm Carly Zakin. And I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to 9 to 5-ish with The Skin. We've run into so many questions over the years and had so many moments where we needed advice and we got it from women who'd been there. And that's what we're bringing you with this show. Each week, we're helping you get what you want out of your career by talking to the smartest leaders we know. Because we know your work life is a lot more than nine to five. All right, let's get into it. Today, our guest is Nancy Twine. Nancy started out on the trading floor of Goldman Sachs, but she always knew she wanted to be an entrepreneur. After her mom passed away unexpectedly in 2010, Nancy realized she needed to pursue her own business. She launched Briogeo, a toxin-free hair care range for natural hair, inspired by her grandmother's homemade hair care products. Nancy held down her day job for years while starting Briogeo, taking calls on her lunch break, responding to emails after work, pitching investors and working weekends. And in 2014, it paid off when she got a deal with Sephora and Nancy quit Goldman to focus on Briogeo full-time. Nancy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. We are very excited to have you. And our favorite way to get into the conversation is with a lightning round so we can get to know you a little bit better. So quick questions, quick answers. Are you ready? Ready. I'm a huge fan of your hair products. And I am curious, every morning, what is the first one of your products that you use? Oh my goodness. Probably dry shampoo. (laughs) We have a really great dry shampoo in our scalp revival line that I just like love. I don't wash my hair every single day. So... It definitely gets me in between washes. What do you think is the most like underrated hair products out there that like people should be using? I would say a scalp scrub. I feel like people ignore their scalp, but it's just as important as the skin on your face. Is that different than just doing a mask? No, it is. Like scalp maintenance is very hot right now. Do you maintain your scalp? Yes. Like I don't. You do? Yes. I do too. Well, I know you do because you have a hairline, but I have a scalp scrub. All right. We'll talk about this after. What was your first job? Um, Oh my gosh. My first job actually was working in Forever 21. I think it was like 14 years old in the mall. How would your direct report describe you? What's one word they would say? That's a really good question. Probably just very passionate. If you could travel anywhere right now, like just get off your phone and get off of work, like where would you go? I would go skiing in Park City, Utah. What is your favorite memory? Oh my gosh. I mean, I think the one that comes to mind is just making products with my mom at home. Last TV show you binge? Emily in Paris. Second season? (laughs) Not second season yet. Oh, Oh, you got to do something. I'm like hoarding it. I'm like saving it for that like moment where I just need to like really binge all weekend. It goes fast. (laughs) This has been one of my favorite new go-to questions. Who would play you in a movie? Oh, that's really hard. Maybe like Zendaya. (laughs) I love that. Okay. Finish this sentence. What best describes your work day? Working nine till six, seven. All right. We're going to go into the heart of this. You started at Goldman Sachs in 2007. What 
was it like watching a large-scale financial meltdown newly out of school and entering the workforce at the same time? Yeah, it was a really uh, crazy, crazy time. Like I remember some of our biggest clients were like on the brink of bankruptcy because we were working with like some of the big auto companies. And if you can remember, like the government was, you know, bailing out companies at the time and there was a lot of credit exposure. So it was really tough. But at the same time, I was learning so many things that I probably wouldn't have learned if we weren't going through such a crazy time like that. But it was really intense. I mean, I was working so much and there was just so much pressure constantly. But you kind of just get thrown into the fire and you just kind of figure it out. And I think that part of it was really important for me, actually, just even in starting my own company. Like, because in so many ways, you just get thrown into situations that you've never had to deal with before and you just have to like, figure it all out. We talk about this a lot on the show too. You're about the same age as us. We both started work in 08. And similarly, like to you, because of variety of reasons, got to be exposed to things we probably never would have at that young age and saw a lot. And I think it also changed the kind of romanticized version we had of like what our career might look like at a big corporate company. And so I'm curious, like for you, Did you have a moment of you're like, oh, I don't know if this is what I thought it was going to be? Oh, completely. I think just from like day one, and especially because like none of my parents worked in finance. Like I had friends whose like moms or dads like worked at banks and they would come home each day and talk about their day or their experience. So I feel like those friends already kind of had a sense of what it was going to be like, but I didn't. I mean, I had a little bit of a sense because I had interned during the summers, but being an intern is so different than like really being held accountable and, you know, being there every single day, really committed to the work. But yeah, I mean, in so many ways, I just feel like I was learning things that I didn't realize would down the line benefit me. And I'm just really glad that I took every opportunity and just tried to like do my best. Because sometimes in life, that's all you can do is just like do your best and, you know, hope for the best. Well, especially in going back to that moment, because I think for a lot of people in this millennial demographic, we entered the workforce at a period of such instability that you really could only do your best because at that time, especially, and, and kind of like now, it was like, who knew what the next day or the next few hours was going to hold. Exactly. Completely. So you were a few years into your career at Goldman when your mom was tragically killed in an accident. I think that grief has the power to do a lot of things, some clarifying, some very confusing. First of all, very sorry to to hear about that experience. How did that grief affect your career path at the time? Yeah, I think, you know, it was the first time that I really realized that life could be so short and we spend so much of our lives working. And if we're not passionate about the work that we're doing, it's just not really worth it, you know? And so I think for me, it was just definitely the catalyst for trying to figure out like what my passions were because I didn't really know what my passions were. And then figuring out like how I could create a career path out of that. So talk to us about the idea behind Briogeo and how it was connected to your family. 
Yeah. So my mom was a physician and a chemist. And so she knew how, you know, the chemistry really behind like, you know, emulsifying water and oil and creating textures and all those sorts of things. And growing up really just, you know, kind of for fun and a little bit out of necessity, we would go to the local health food store and, you know, buy all these different oils and extracts and butters and take them home and basically transform them into these very simple but functional beauty products. Like what's an example of one that you did with your mom? That sounds like such a cool experiment. I made like slice and bake cookies. Yeah, no, it's so funny. Like I tell people that I'm like, some like moms and daughters like bake together and like me and my mom were making products together, but really kind of just like rich products, whether it was homemade body butters or hair masks, or different really rich face creams, especially like in the winter when, you know, growing up in New York, I like always have struggled with my skin and like my hair and scalp and all of that being so dry in the winter. Back then, like it was just hard to find products that were really hydrating and also that just didn't contain a lot of ingredients that like we didn't want to use. Like a lot of stuff was like petroleum based or, you know, some other sort like silicone or, or whatever. So being able to kind of choose the ingredients and blend them and like have control over what was going in them was something that was really amazing. And I didn't even realize it too until like I was an adult, but those were some of the favorite ones that we would make. So you had this experience growing up that was part of you and you have this big life event that gets you to start thinking about how you're going to truly spend your time. When did those two things start to come together? Like, how did you start to take this idea, take where you were in life and move it towards an actual business? Yeah. So it was a slow build. Like I didn't do anything overnight, but it was just um, obviously seeing like an opportunity too that didn't exist when I was a kid growing up. People weren't really seeking out or shopping for clean beauty products. It was just kind of whatever existed people were using. And so, you know, I've always been a pretty like avid beauty consumer and I was definitely starting to see the shift that was happening. It really started in food and then it started stemming into personal care and beauty with people looking for more clean, healthy options. And, you know, I was thinking back to the products that we were making at home and I just felt like it was a really great opportunity because there was so much white space. It's not that way so much now, but back then, just like 10 years ago, even there was so much white space. And so I really just started getting ideas on paper and sketching out a business plan. And to be honest with you, I didn't really have like super ambitious goals for the company. I just wanted to be able to basically, you know, pay myself a salary so that I could live off of selling products, but it was a slow build. And I ended up finding an actual product chemist that helped me develop the first four products. I'm not a chemist. I don't have a chemistry background. So I really needed some support there. And then I also found an agency that helped me with the early packaging design concept. So a lot of the work too, was just kind of assembling the right people that could help me do the things that I needed to do. When you think about the origins of the, of the story, do you identify more on the creative side of entrepreneurship or on the more operator side of entrepreneurship? Yeah, I would say both. And I know some people are one or the other. I mean, I definitely think that as a founder, like you, you have to have the creative piece 
because vision is creative. Like you execute your vision through operations, but you don't have a vision if you can't tap into creativity. So oftentimes founders, you know, may have the creative piece, but they may not have the operational piece. But for me, I think given just like my background working in finance and I mean, everything that I was doing every day was like very operational. In a lot of ways, it kind of put me in a unique position to have both. Where were your holes in terms of like what you had to learn the most on the job? I mean, everything was so new. I think really early on, but I learned pretty quickly, just like understanding how retailers work, understanding margins, understanding how to support them the right way, where to invest your dollars that actually, you know, convert into a return, because that can be kind of a slippery slope. If you don't have tried and true, you know, methods to invest your marketing dollars, you're just pouring money into a bunch of things, like hoping that they stick. But it was really interesting because around the time that I launched, it was the birth of the beauty sampling industry, which was like such a game changer for beauty marketing. And I was really fortunate to have been able to partner with Ipsy and Birchbox and a few others like pretty early on to get my products in the right people's hands. And luckily, that was a really effective marketing strategy that I had never done before, but it really worked. One of your big breaks was getting your line in Sephora. What do you think about you and the product stood out that got people to a yes? So actually, at the time, there was no one else at Sephora in clean hair. And there was no one else at Sephora that was really catering to all hair textures and types. When you think about all the categories within beauty, historically, hair care has been one of the categories that's really segregated people by ethnicity, by hair texture type. And one of the things that I really set out to do at Briogeo was to really unite people through their own unique individual hair journeys. And I think that's something that's really, really paid off for us in such a big way. And it's something that's been so core to our mission from the beginning. And it's also great for our retailers too, right? Because it means we're bringing in more diversity into their stores, which everybody wants. So we get asked this question all the time. I have a business. I really think I have a good shot at it, but I don't know when to quit my day job. You stayed at Golden for a while. How did you know when it was the right time to leave? Because I I have come to, after years of being asked this question, really decide that I don't think you can tell anyone when it's the right time. You very rarely know that it's the right time. And then finally, there's never necessarily an easy time. So I've stopped trying to answer this question for people. But I wonder how you went about it when you were in that period. Yeah, there's definitely no sort of set response to this. There's so many things that go into what makes sense for each individual. But I think some of the things that you want to consider is how much of like a finance cushion do you have for yourself? Like if things don't work out in a year, do you have enough money to pay your rent and your expenses to kind of get you through that time? Also, like what kind of responsibilities do you have? Do you have children? Are you supporting your parents? Do you have lots of loans that you have to cover? And then also just the question of, are you at a point in your life where you feel like you've really learned everything you've wanted to learn from your career? And those were like definitely things that I thought through. 
when I was deciding to make the move. But I think the other layer to that was I wanted to feel like I had like a really good shot before I left my job. So I actually didn't quit until I had interest from Sephora. And I knew that like, hey, if I leave, at least I'm going to have a retailer and I can really focus on it and pour all of my energy into it. And it's a really good opportunity for me to actually pour myself into and take that risk. Were you open at work that this was like a side hustle? No, because I wasn't selling product when I was at work. So it was just like a project. But yeah, definitely when I left, I told people what I was going to do. As you got off the ground and as you kind of look back, like what do you think you were best at? What made it actually get off the ground? I think the formulas. And I think with any beauty product, it's not just about the brand. It's not just about the marketing, but the formulas have to be number one. I think that happens a lot oftentimes where people are really passionate about creating a fun brand. And sometimes like the actual formulations get put on the back burner. They're not prioritized. And I feel like it's really hard to create longevity and like a really solid business if you're not as equally passionate about the formulas as you are the brand. So that was something that was like very important to me. And I think something that definitely really set the business up for success. And it was something that put us on the map too, because we started winning awards for our formulas and we started getting press because editors were talking about the formulas. And so over time, that's how we really started to build a lot of trust and brand awareness as well. Is there an early moment of, I don't know if it was a press thing, a celebrity or user feedback that you were like, oh, this is happening. Like, this is exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think when we won our first Allure Best of Beauty Award, which is like the most coveted award in the beauty industry, I think that's really what put us on the map and gave us a lot of credibility. And we were just able to really kind of take things to the next level as those sort of things started happening. One of the things that I was struck by is that you did so much of getting the business off the ground alone. Like you were doing all the jobs and not even bringing in consultants that much. It took a long time for you to sort of make your team a team. Walk us through just sort of the thinking around that. Like, why were you taking it all on your own? Well, because it requires money to build a team. And when you're starting out, and you know, I didn't have investors starting out, you have to make sacrifices somewhere. I could have sacrificed and said, okay, well, I'm not gonna market my brand, or I could have sacrificed and said, okay, I need to be scrappy for a couple of years and take on a lot of responsibility so that I can use that money to really drive the brand. So I think starting out, like all businesses have to make sacrifice. And sometimes that sacrifice is, I'm gonna give up a large percent of my money or ownership in the company so that I can bring in funds to just do everything. So I don't think starting a business, you can ever tell yourself that like, I'm going to be able to do everything. You have to make sacrifices. And for me, I was, you know, kind of happy to roll up my sleeves. That's how I learned. And I love learning. I feel like if I just hired a bunch of people and I didn't even have a stable business yet, that also wouldn't have been fair to people. So I wanted to make sure that I actually had something where I could pay people and not have to let them go because we had a rocky month. So I'd rather not pay myself than not pay other people. We very much get that kind of early stressor and also took a long time before we had employees because of that. But, you know, I think 
emotionally, it was hard for us to let people in, in like the building process. It took in the beginning now, less so, but like in the beginning, it was, this is our baby. Like I know how to do everything, even though we didn't know how to do most things. And I'm curious, like who has been, what has your support network looked like? Like, who have you gone to, to be like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, do you do that? Who, who are your people? Yeah, sometimes it's been retailers. I mean, I have great relationships with my retailers and like I let them know. I'm like, hey, like how should we be thinking about our new visual merchandising? Tell us what's not working. Tell us what's working for other brands. Or, you know, we're trying to figure out what next year's innovation looks like. Like what kind of insights? What are their clients asking for? Where are the white space opportunities? So I think relationships are really important. And when you can actually go to your partners and just be vulnerable and say, hey, we need help, we need guidance. We actually do that a lot. And I still do that. Our retail partners in so many ways have so much more just expertise. And then also like they're not in it every day. So they see things that we don't see, which is really important. And those relationships have been like so fundamental the brand. So yeah, I mean, we really do rely on our retail relationships to drive a lot of that mentorship and just advice and guidance. What's the worst piece of advice you got along the way? I mean, probably a lot. (laughs) One of the things that like comes to mind is people, I think sometimes encourage founders to like take money too early. And I think it can create a lot of pressure for founders. So instead of really focusing on like the brand and making sure that the products are good and that you're being thoughtful, you kind of feel like you're up against a clock because you have someone who's like constantly checking in and wanting to understand performance. So, you know, I think where you can be scrappy and hold out and kind of learn, make some mistakes and build your business a bit organically. And then when you get some traction, you know, think about taking funding, I think, can be a really smart move for a lot of brands. Sometimes there's this like one size fits all approach to like, you know, just take the money, just take the money. And I don't really think that's great advice. What are you excited for this year? I'm excited for a lot of different things. We have some incredible innovation that we're launching this year. We actually just launched one of them a couple of weeks ago. It's this new rice water protein and moisture treatment. That was actually inspired by an at-home repair remedy that I used growing up. And so, yeah, the innovation piece is so exciting. I feel like that's what keeps the brand so fresh and new. And that's also too, like what our community loves. Like it just never feels like it gets old because there's always something new around the corner to launch or even to like revamp. Like last year, we had a product that wasn't necessarily a new product. It was an existing product that we tweaked and revamped based on client feedback. And when we launched it, it did so much better than the original version because we were just a lot smarter about how we did it. But I would say like the innovation piece makes the year like very exciting. When you look at what you've created and it's such a beloved brand and I can attest the quality is phenomenal. It's truly one of my favorites. Are you proud of yourself? Like, do you look in the mirror and are like, oh, I'm doing the thing? Yeah, I'm proud of myself. I'm proud of my team. I am just so grateful, you know, especially now. I mean, I I talked about earlier, like when we launched, there was a lot of white space. There wasn't really anyone that was owning clean prestige hair care the way that we do at the time. And now there are so many new brands and I can't even imagine launching now because I feel like I would just be overwhelmed and maybe even a little discouraged because there's just so much out there. And 
I'm just so grateful that, you know, we've been able to build this brand for almost the past nine years and have a lot of success and seeing, you know, so many people. It's so funny. I remember like the first couple of years, people were like, oh, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I run this hair care product line. What's it called? Briogeo. Oh, I've never heard of that. <laughs> like everyone was like, oh, I've never heard of that. I've never heard of that. And now I feel like, you know, four out of five people are like, oh my gosh, I love your hair mask or I have your shampoo in my shower. And so that's definitely something to, to be proud of. It is. Last question. Who should we have on this show? Oh my gosh, that is such a good question. I really, really love Greg and Joe from Used to the People Skincare. They are so awesome. They've created such an incredible brand and product. We don't know them and that's a great suggestion. Well, Nancy, congratulations and thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of 9 to 5-ish with The Skim. A new episode will be in your feed again next Wednesday. In the meantime, check out our news podcast, Skim This. Every Thursday, we cover what you need to know each week in 30 minutes or less. And we've also got another podcast, Pop Cultured with The Skim, where each week we're covering the pop culture moment everyone's talking about. New episodes drop every Tuesday. 